I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your copy of the scripture. We're going to start in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. I was praying about what the Lord would have me to share this morning, and we kept coming back to this lesson. It was a lesson that we had done a couple months ago on Pentecost. Next week is the day of Pentecost, and we're going to celebrate that. We're going to have a Pentecost rally that evening. We're going to believe God's going to touch and do great things among us that all day, really, that day on the day of Pentecost. But I want us to have an understanding of what Pentecost is, what it was in the Old Testament, and what it represents to us today. Because I think sometimes we, we miscommunicate and we misthink of what Pentecost really is. Um, and to be honest, a lot of folks, if you, I don't know if you've had this issue or not, um, you go to somebody and, and you say, well, what church do you go to? And they ask you that question and you say, I go to a Pentecostal church. And they look at you kind of like, you go to what? Is that where you guys hang on the chandeliers and swing around and do crazy things? And that's not really what Pentecost is about. And today we're going to kind of dive into that. We're going to talk about what it was um, in the Old Testament and also how that translates to the New Testament. And, and the great thing about this is, God, I love it when God just puts all this together um, with the words that were spoken this morning and the things that were said. And that just kind of fits into this idea of what Pentecost is really all about. And so today, let's look at Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to begin reading in verse 15. In the Old Testament, they would call this the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks. It says, from the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks, count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From everywhere you live, bring two loaves made with two tenths of an ephah of the finest flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this bread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, a food offering and aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs, each a year old, for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering. Together with the bread of the first fruits, they are, they are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Father, today I pray that you would help us. God, there's a powerful message in this for us today that we need to hear. So, Lord, I pray that help us, God. There are some here this morning that um, maybe Pentecost is new to them. Maybe this 
This idea of being filled with the Spirit is new for them. God, I pray that they would have open hearts and ears and attentive to what the Spirit is saying and confirming inside of them. And God, I pray today, let all of us draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, was one of three main feasts that the Israelites had. Now, when I say main feast, there's a reason because, you see, there were three that each one of them, everybody had to come and be in attendance at these three feasts. One of them was the Feast of Tabernacles. That would typically happen in the fall of the year. One was the the Feast of Passover, which happened 50 days prior to this one, which is the day of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. And every Jewish male had to show up and be accounted for and bring an offering on the Feast of Weeks. You could not skip it. There was no dog ate my homework. Um, There was no, um, I'm sorry, but such, I'm I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. There, There was none of that. You could not skip it. You had to be there. That was the Jewish law set forth by God. You had to make it kind of amazing, Um, and this is kind of a precursor when you think about the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that God would send the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is not by accident, because all the Jewish people would have been where? In Jerusalem. God's pretty cool, isn't he? And so this Feast of Weeks would be something that they would, they would come. You get the name Pentecost because Pentecost actually means 50. Every one of these feasts required that you bring a first fruit offering to the temple. It's this attitude of, of giving. And this would celebrate, a, the Feast of Weeks was in celebration of a wheat harvest. If you looked at the Feast of Passover, it would have been celebration of a barley harvest. The Feast of Tabernacles in the fall would have been a celebration of olive and grape harvest. So you're bringing the first, the best, all of that stuff, all of that offering to the Lord. And again, I'll say this again. God is the perfect orchestrator of things. Hang with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie this all up in a nice bow here in just a minute. Just hang with me, all right? God is the orchestrator of things. Like all the other Jewish feasts, the Feast of Weeks is important because it foreshadows the coming of the Messiah and his ministry. Each one of those seven, there were seven Jewish feasts, and each one of them signifies an important aspect of God's plan of redemption through his son, Jesus. You see, on Passover, Jesus was crucified as the Passover lamb. He rose up from the grave, and following his resurrection, he spent the next 40 days teaching and instructing the disciples, doing wonderful things, doing miracles. Uh, John says that he... He would say, if the whole world was full of books, I don't believe it would be enough to contain everything that Jesus had done. Read that passage at the end of John in those 40-day time. 
But there was a, when Jesus was ascended to heaven, there was a period of 10 days that took place where the disciples were just kind of, they were expecting, they were waiting, and they were on their own. You ever been waiting for God? You know, I'm sure when Jesus left the first day, everything was like, oh yeah, he just left yesterday. This is all good. I'm sure that any time, he's going to come. That, that thing he promised us, I'm sure any time, it, it's going to be here. I, can't you just picture this a little bit with you? The, the first day goes by, the second day happens. Well, you know, maybe he needed a day to kind of get his things together. But it'll, be, it'll happen today. I, 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 I bet you it'll happen today. By about day seven, after about a week, you're kind of getting a little bit antsy, aren't you? Now, you got to understand something about the disciples and these 120 that were in this upper room because they were afraid for their life. This wasn't just, I'm waiting on God because I'm, I'm believing God's going to do some kind of financial miracle. These guys were waiting on God with their life. I mean, it, it, was, it was life or death situation here. And so they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. Finally, on day 10, Pentecost happened. And it's the most amazing thing. We're going to get into that here in just a little bit. The most amazing thing ever. So what is, how do we, how can we put this aspect of Pentecost together? How can I understand this? Well, let me kind of go back a little bit. Do you remember that time in your life when you met that special someone? Remember how you used to romance them and court them? Some of you are like, I did? That's been a long time ago. I don't know if I remember that. I remember my, with my wife, it was just, you couldn't wait for the phone to ring. I mean, we, I, I met her um, during the summer of one of my college years, and, and then I went back to school, and I was 400 miles away, and and she didn't care that I was sitting there and heartbroken and waiting by the phone for hours for the phone to just ring. But you couldn't wait to contact them. You couldn't wait to, to see them. I, I would drive. I would, I would get, my last class was on Friday, and it would end at noon. And I would get in my truck, and I would drive six hours to, to hang out with my wife and, and to, uh, to just develop relationship and, and those kind of things. And then, and then what would happen is on Sunday, I would wait till the last possible minute to leave. Yeah. Our curfew was at midnight. They locked the doors to the dorms at midnight. It was a six-hour drive. I left at six o'clock every time. There was one time that I had to knock on the window of a friend and say, hey, let me in. I'm late. I'm not going to tell you what the speed limit was. And I'm not going to tell you how fast I was driving. Is that okay, Brother Curtis? All right, thank you. But the point of it is, is that those kind of things, man, when, when we were together, time flew by, and when we weren't, it seemed to drag on. We couldn't wait till we were together again. And, and when we were together, man, when... 
I wanted to make a good impression. So, you know, I didn't like bring flowers that were like three months old, right? I, I didn't go by and pick up some flowers that were wilted and looked bad and say, man, baby, you're the greatest, right? I, I didn't take like a half over thing of eating chocolate to her and say, you know, I just couldn't wait. I wanted to give, I, I had to try it, right? If, if you were making the meal, you wouldn't just go get the leftovers. You know, I had this about three nights ago, and it was okay. But I thought, man, only the best for you. You wouldn't do that. Why? Because you want to bring your best. There's a quote that says, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. Love is a powerful motivator. And it brings out the best of people and it creates this atmosphere where one wants to give their best in every way. That's what Pentecost, the celebration of Pentecost, was all about. It was a celebration of giving. Bringing to God the very best grain of that season. A celebration where people praise God but for his giving to them. And, and he was giving back, they were giving back to him their very best. That reflects a real love relationship. It's not leftovers. It's not what they could spare. God got the best. He got the first fruits. So let's look at that just a little bit, that, that thought process this morning. Um, if, if you look, God got the best grain. For seven weeks, it was a time of work. They would be working diligently in their fields, and on the, the 50th day, which was the day of Pentecost, they were to bring, they were, everybody was busy reaping for seven weeks, and then they brought in what they had sown and gave it to God because of the blessing that he'd given to them. It was time to enjoy their labor. And so they would have a special celebration for one day. And it was an opportunity for them to give back to God. The grain was their witness of his faithfulness and thankfulness and their thankfulness to him. I'm going to say this, and, and this is very vital. I want you to hear this. All healthy relationships involve two-way giving. I'm going to say that again. All healthy relationships involve two-way giving. It doesn't matter if it's your spouse, your girlfriend. It doesn't matter boyfriend. It doesn't matter if it's your coworker or your boss or your classmate at school. If you have a healthy relationship, it is because there is two-way giving. It's not just one person giving and one person taking. It would be spiritually and practically unhealthy for us to expect from God without giving to Him in return. And I wonder how many times do we do that today? The challenge in the word that came before us this morning was to go after him with all of your heart, to seek after him now while he can be found, to go after God and to give him yourself. 
to go after him because now is the time. We've got to draw near to God. We've got to get close to God. We've got to have that happen. And the only way that happens healthy in a relationship is if it's not just about what we get, but what we give. See, so many times, and, and our, our culture has created this. We've created this thought process that church is just like any other thing. I'll go to that church if they'll give me something, what I can get. Our culture has kind of created that thought process. But that's not the way God intended this to be. God intended, yeah, it's a blessing when we come to church. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the first one to tell you, I can't wait to get here. And it's not just because I get the microphone and you don't. I can't wait to get here because I can't wait to see what God's going to do. I can't wait to see what might happen as we together, as the body of Christ, come and we give ourselves to the Lord. But sometimes I think we get that thought process when we come into a relationship or a, uh, with God or house of worship. It's just about, okay, what can you do for me, God? What can I get? And it's not just about what we can get. It's about what we can give. What can I give to you, Lord, today? If you want to have a true Pentecostal experience, it has to start with that kind of mindset. It's not about God. It's, and, and, you know, a lot of times we put emphasis on um, getting gifts or spiritual gifts. And, and those are all great. And God does bless us with gifts. He does. But it's been my experience in my life that whenever I was in a place where God was blessing me with a spiritual gifting, whether that be the baptism of the Holy Spirit or whether that be healing or whatever the case is that He wanted to bless me with, it was because I was going after Him. Not because I was sitting here thinking, God, you owe me. God, I've been so good. You know this week I've been pretty good, God. I've, I've, not, I've drank half my coffee. I've kind of laid off all the, all the processed foods. God, you know I've been good. God, you know I've read my Bible at least. I, look, I read one verse every three days, God. I've read three verses this week. God, I'm doing awesome. Come on. I even, read, I even memorized John 11.35, God. Jesus wept. I got it down. I've memorized it, Lord. Come on. And, and that's funny. And we laugh at that. But I wonder sometimes if we don't take that mentality in our walk with God. And, I, and I, sometimes I think that when the Lord blesses us, the most I've been blessed in my life, the most that I've had God um, impart himself to me is when it wasn't about me, it was about him. I was more concerned about giving praise and glory to him. I was more concerned about giving of myself to him. Now, I would love to tell you that that happens every second of every day. But it doesn't. I'm flesh. I'm human. Sometimes I'm just downright selfish. Don't look at me like that. You look at me like, really? I know that's hard to believe. But sometimes I am. And you are too. 
But the reality is, is when we humble ourselves and we seek after God and we go after him with all of our heart and we give ourselves to him, that's when God and we meet together and that's when there's a real relationship that's built between him and us. That was the whole reason why man was created in the first place, was for relationship. God wants relationship with you so much that when he spoke Adam, when he formed Adam into existence, when he took the clay and he formed man and he breathed life into man, he did that because he wanted relationship with us so much. And he knew that when he did that, it was going to cost him his son. It was going to cost him everything he had. It was going to cost him the best. Because he wants a relationship with you so much, he was willing to do it. That's how awesome God is. God never gives his less than his best to us. In the Feast of Weeks, in the Feast of Pentecost, God was not asking for the leftovers. He wanted the first fruits. He wanted the finest of the grain. He wanted a people who would truly love him, would give him the best, because they would take that to make the best seed. Let's talk about this idea of the bread for just a moment, as we read in this passage. There's an image of bread here that kind of reflects the worshiper a little bit. Passover, when they had Passover, it was unleavened bread. Unleavened symbolizes the sinless Christ. Yeast was always something in the Bible. As you look, it it represented, it symbolized flawed people. Jesus said this. He said, beware the, the yeast of the Pharisees. Yeast always symbolized kind of a sin thing. It was a symbol of of full of yourself. But notice at the day of Pentecost, he has them put yeast in the mixture. The Passover bread was God's sacrifice. Pentecost's bread was their sacrifice. The finest grain was required to be ground, and they would put in uh, into this, and, and they would put it all together to make the bread. And then there would be this, this heating up in the fire to make bread. Have you ever been around somebody's house that's making homemade bread? Oh, dear Jesus. It makes you sing glory with the smell and the aromas, right? Someone said this, Christians are like tea. The real flavor comes out when you provide heat. When they get in hot water. (laughs) It was time consuming to do all this, but it was worth it. And they would put all of this together and make this wonderful bread. And the bread was a symbol of them sacrificing themselves to God. Romans 12:1 says this that we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is my reasonable act of worship it says. The reasonable act of worship. Want to kind of move quickly through this. There's so many things that I could hit. 
But I want us to go to this idea now to the New Testament. I want us to to fast forward here. If you turn with me in the book of Acts chapter 2. There are many things that you'll see in that idea of giving, and and this is kind of the parallel that we're going to talk about. The the Pentecost was a, a time of joyful giving, celebration of abundance, of increase, and that was certainly true here in the book of Acts. God gave his disciples the abundant power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I need the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life. The baptism in the Holy Spirit didn't happen on the day of Pentecost so they could all look around and watch themselves speak in other tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit did not happen to have this cool event and you know, put a tent around it and, and they could all just kind of bottle it up and say, wow, wasn't that a cool experience? Jesus told them this in Acts chapter 1. He said, but you'll receive power. Go and wait because you're going to receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, uh, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You need this power living inside of you. This is not just some kind of glamorous, above spiritual, kind of real thing kind of thought process that, man, I'm better than somebody else because I speak in tongues. That's not the idea here. That's not the thought process here. That's not the thought process in our church. It's not the thought process in the book of Acts. The idea of us, when you say, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I want to do what God asked me to do. God, I want you to fill me to the fullest. That thing that, they, that you promised those people and delivered on in Acts chapter 2, that infilling baptism of the Holy Spirit, I want that in my life. Why do I need it in my life? Because it helps me live. It helps me to be a witness. It helps me to live holy. We need that in our hearts and in our lives. God gave his disciples this abundant power of the Holy Spirit, and a great increase happens to the church instantaneously. The entire focus of Pentecost was relationship giving, a two-way street. Don't miss out on this idea that when you give yourself to God, that God will in turn then give himself to you. Look at this passage, Acts chapter 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost came and they were all together in one place, suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? then how is it that each of us hears them in our native languages? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia, uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, 
all of these Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, amazed and perplexed. They ask one another, what does this mean? You see, tongues, Paul talks about how tongues is a, is a sign for unbelievers. Did you know that? Tongues is not meant to be just a, a thing that we spout off in the middle of a worship service. Tongues is a sign for unbelievers because it proves to them that the power of God is real. You know, I think back to last week's service and how awesome the presence of God was here. Just amazing. And I stopped to think, man, if you came into that door last Sunday, well, really any Sunday, to be honest with you, but last Sunday especially, there was a presence of God here that was so awesome, so amazing. And God does that not just so we can get our feel-good thing on. He does that because it draws unbelievers to himself so that they can have relationship with him. That's what this was all about. I, I look at this passage, and, and Peter gets up, and, and he, the same Peter who wouldn't even say that he knew Christ not so many days ago, gets up, and, and he says, this, this is spoken by the prophet Joel, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even all my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will start relationship. Amen. You know, you, you kind of look back and, and you take that text from Joel chapter 2. That happened many years before Christ. That's Old Testament. That happened many years before Christ. And Joel prophesies this moment. And, and this is really cool. It says that the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. There are scientific proof that on the day that Jesus dies is a blood moon. It's a lunar eclipse. And so anytime a lunar eclipse happened in Jewish culture, it was significant. The, sun, the Bible talks about how when Jesus hung on the cross, what happened to the, to the sun? What happened to the light? The Bible says that there was a darkness that came over the land, correct? And then that night, as the moon would begin to rise, the moon would come up red. And the prophet Joel, back in chapter 2 of the book of Joel, he says this, the great and glorious day of the Lord will happen when the sun goes dark and the moon is turned into blood. Jesus came and he died on a cross for our sin. He bridged the gap so that we could have relationship with him. And what took place on that cross was so awesome and so um, great that it was the great and glorious day of the Lord. And because of that, anyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. Yeah. 
Praise the Lord. But notice that Joel says something else before that. He says that is going to happen. But there's also something else that's going to take place. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. It was not an accident that on the day of Pentecost, the Pentecost that immediately followed God giving his son, that when the Jewish people got all together and in that place, and the Bible says that they were gathered together and they were in one place, in one accord, and they came together unified with Jesus praising God on their lips, the power of the Holy Spirit fell. And in those last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. A mighty move of God is happening. I don't know if you, a lot of times we just catch what CNN and Fox News want us to hear. I don't know if you're catching some of the things that are happening, that are happening in for Jesus across this globe. Muslims getting saved. I believe that I, this, this last week, I think they changed the statistic. I think it was like every 26 seconds or 28 seconds, something like that, a person comes to know Jesus Christ in our world today through the, through the work of an Assembly of God missionary. That's just the Assemblies of God. It's not church in general. There is a move of God that is taking place. There is a powerful working of the Holy Spirit. It's not done by human might. It's not done by human strategy because our thoughts are not his thoughts. It's not done by the plans of an organization. It's not done by human might. It's not done by human power. It is done by his spirit, says the Lord. It's because the Spirit of the Lord is moving through the church and God's people have decided that I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Even though they take my life, even if they come against me, even if I face persecution and ridicule, I have decided the Spirit of the living God is welling up inside of me and there is a Spirit that is, is moving across this world and it is finding itself in the hearts of people who are willing to give themselves to God. There is a revival that's taking place. Mountains are moved, infirmities are healed, lives are transformed when people in the body of Christ have decided, I have decided to follow Jesus, with all of my heart, no turning back. And I wonder today, come into this service today, and I wonder, and we've heard word from the Lord this morning spoken to our heart. And I wonder, are we giving our life, are we giving us to Jesus? Because the essence of Pentecost, that's really what happened. These 120 people that were in that upper room, they gave everything. You know how I know that? 
because they were in an upper room scared for their life. And they were willing to give everything to follow Jesus. And when they did that, the power of the Holy Spirit fell on them. What would that look like in 2017 if God's people were willing to give everything to him? That's what Pentecost was all about. It wasn't about what we could get. It was about coming and giving. Giving our heart, giving our life to the king. Doing it joyfully and doing it wholeheartedly. And when that happens, God moves in such a way that he will transform a world. Father, today I thank you. I thank you for the moving of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, for all the great blessings you give us. And God, today, I thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to our hearts about this time. Holy Spirit, go throughout this sanctuary today and draw. You says that no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. So Holy Spirit, draw today. Convict us. If there's something that is between us and you, Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, convict us. If there is a, a lack of, of effort, if there's a lack of of, uh, Lord, just desire in us to go after you and to give of our entire life to you. I'm not just talking about money or stuff. I'm talking about us. God, today, if, if that is our, if it's hard for us to say, I am all in and really mean it, then God, I pray, Holy Spirit, draw us. in this moment. This morning you're here, your heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And you be honest with God, maybe it's the first time you've been in a situation like this, a church service like this. And you've not given your life to Christ. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone but it starts with relationship. He's already given. He's just waiting on you. And so this morning, if you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor, I don't, I don't really have a relationship with Christ. But today I want one. If that's you, would you slip up your hand right now? We want to pray with you this morning. Praise God. And now here's where I want us to spend this remaining part of this altar time. Maybe you're here today, and you know, nobody else might, but you do, that you haven't really, truly given your best to God. You've not given Him your life. Oh, you come and worship and, and you pray. But there are still portions of your life that are more important to you than God. He doesn't have the first place. It's not the first fruits thing. Pentecost was all about giving. 
It's all about the people coming and giving back to God. And today, you'd like to say, Lord, I want to give my life back to you completely. I'm not going to withhold anything back. I want a move of God in my life. I want a move of you in my life. All healthy relationships involve two-way giving. Have you given yourself completely to God with the best and the first fruits that you have? We're simply going to sing this song that we ended with, Jesus, I Surrender. And as we sing that song, as we close this service, if that's you today, and you want to give that of yourself to the Lord and say, God, here am I. These altars are open. You can make an altar at your pew, but I would encourage you to come and give yourself to God again. God, I offer myself to you. This morning, even if you don't feel like you're, that's you to respond, I pr- I, my prayer is that you would pray that prayer again. God, I offer myself to you, whatever it is. My life, I give to you. Can we do that as we're saying? We invite you to come.